Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Ecuador Insider Podcast. I am Jesse Bayer, co-founder and managing partner of Abundant Living Ecuador. Uh, flying solo today, Darnell, my business partner, is actually in Quito checking out some properties. Um, I do have a great guest who I'll get to momentarily. Before I do, uh, you can find us at abecuador.com, our website. Call us from the U.S. and Canada on our toll-free line at 888-999-0948 and email us at info at abecuador.com. Um, I want to mention briefly our tour, which we are super excited about. Uh, our next group tour kicks off in January, so um, please uh, check that out at abec tour.com and you can sign up there and uh, join us for what we think is truly an amazing experience seeing Ecuador and getting all of your questions answered. Um, we also have a ton of new properties coming online. Some of them are on the site already. Some of them are, will be on the site over the next two to three weeks. Some around 30 properties that have come online um, recently. So we're excited about that. Please uh, sign up for our newsletter on our site. Um, so you can get those property alerts emailed directly to your inbox. Um, also, check out our YouTube channel. We put out a lot of good content on there as well as Facebook. Um, you can find that just under our name, Abundant Living Ecuador. Um, and I just want to give a shout-out and a thanks to Nicholas Crowder for joining us last week. Uh, we really appreciated his time and input. So without further ado, we're joined today, and i got to say I'm super excited, uh, somebody who I think really does great work and, and is somebody I really respect um, in our industry, but we're joined by Josh Innes um, of Viva Tropical, Linus, excuse me, Josh, <laughs> joined by Josh Linus, am I pronouncing that right? That's right. Yes. Okay, by Josh Linus of Viva Tropical. Um, I don't know, do you like, do you, go, do you go with Viva Tropical or do you do like Viva Tropical? <laughs> Usually, I would say a Viva Tropical, there you but go. it depends on, you know, the audience. Like right. If I say that, it's a little bit like the old Saturday Night Live sketch where the the uh, the actors were saying burrito and chimichanga and salsa. <laughs> right. Making fun of it. Like, I, I feel sometimes like that's what happens when you're talking to an English-speaking audience, that they think you're just messing around. Right. I used to, when I used to talk about you guys, I used to say Viva Tropical, but then like I would be saying that to English speakers and wondering like, do I sound like a total moron right now? Um, since, since the word is actually also an English word. Um, but anyways, Josh is the co-founder, uh, of Viva Tropical and they do some really interesting stuff for, which we're going to get into. Um, so Josh, again, thanks uh, so much for being on the show, for taking the time. Um, you know, let's jump right into it. Why don't, uh, if, if you don't mind, why don't you just start with, um, you know, a little bit about who you guys are and, and what you do. Well, first, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, we, I work with a partner also, uh, and, uh, we founded Viva Tropical, uh, which covers, uh, basically expat information. If you're thinking about living and investing anywhere from Mexico to Ecuador, basically, that's the area we're focused on. And we started the company because there wasn't really any any company focusing specifically on that area. And it allowed us to cover that need, but then also get more detailed in in the region. You know, like we have talking to people like you or other people who are down here, we can get much more down to ground level in terms of information, how things work, uh, than somewhere like... Uh, international living or something like that that covers so many other places 
uh, and we thought that was needed. We just thought that if you really want to move down here, you don't necessarily need to go to a seminar. Um, it's really just about getting armed with enough information to come down and, and start looking. So that's what started it, uh, and we've been growing it ever since. Cool. And then you. And then how do you guys make your? What's your bread and butter? How do you guys make money? Well, we are investors at our core. It's mm-hmm. all I've ever done is done real estate investment my whole life. I'm uh, 41 and been a professional investor for 20 years, basically, a little over 20 years. Mm-hmm. I bought my first property in Costa Rica when I was 18 mm-hmm. and have investing, been investing in the region ever since. Um, not necessarily contiguously every mm-hmm. year, but um, started that way and then decided to make it a full-time job about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do our own projects. We have a, a um, jungle-covered island in Panama. It's a 400-acre island called Boca Chica Island. That's our main project right now uh, for uh, people interested in living on a private island. It's not uh, about 40 minutes from an airport, so it's not really that far away, but uh, that's one of our main our main projects. We had another project called Playa Barica in Panama, and that's more or less sold out at this point. Uh, just in the last few months, they had some resales come back, and, and it looks like they've sold. So that's it. We're looking at other... We're always looking in the region. Uh, we spend a lot of time. We spent time in Ecuador. We like Ecuador a lot. We spend time in Nicaragua. I live full-time in Costa Rica. Park, my partner lives full-time in Panama. And so we we cover a lot of distance, and we're always looking for uh, projects that make sense to us. And and now at this point with Viva Tropical, makes sense to our customers. Yeah, I mean that's such a cool idea. I know I've you know I've checked out your your project, your island project online. That's kind of I think like for a lot of people that's that's sort of in their in the back of their mind as maybe a bucket list or a dream of theirs, uh, you know, bucket list item or a dream of theirs to live on a private island. That's that's such a cool idea, and that is just so awesome that you guys actually pulled that off. Yeah, it's. Uh aspirational type of lifestyle and uh yeah it's been it's been challenging fun ways it's also been um it's really enjoyable of course to be there but uh, yeah we've been learning a lot about just the differences say for a customer who's interested in the island versus other stuff versus you know even other countries versus guatemala or uh, like roatan or whatever mm-hmm. uh, roatan being an island a uh, much bigger one um, so it's, it's a different thing. And, uh, I think the big thing for us is the responsibility of doing it the right way. Um, I have issues. I'm basically a developer that hates development. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of a, a constant struggle, uh, every day in this work because I like, um, finding these places off the beaten path and then, um, creating a project, but my goal is not at all to densely populate it. So right. the island being a good example is 400 acres and we will probably put 20, 25 people on the whole plan. Um, mm-hmm. And the way we look at it is if we didn't do that, someone else is going to probably clear cut the thing just for the limber sure. um, in terms of what uh, economic pressure there are on resources in our regions. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
that's one way to to do it. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and and it's been a very interesting path of solving problems uh, because an island you just you're so limited in terms of your ability to go to a uh, hardware store or get an engineer out that day. I mean, that's kind of a a pipe dream anyway, getting an engineer anywhere in one day, no matter where you are in Central America. <laughs> but the getting anything out there to happen fast, and so we've had to learn a lot of things, which we've previously uh, focused on on other projects, but it's just been different. Like, we, we had to learn how to box. We had to be built our own barges to start transporting out materials. We had to learn how to drill wells. We had to learn how um, to do, like, desal on the water, or put in water filters, and um, how to plant in that environment. And so every day is something new to learn. I, I've been comparing it lately to the movie The Martian, where yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen that, yeah. he's like left on this planet, and it's only him, uh, and <laughs> yeah. a, he's a sole guy on the planet. It's not quite that extreme, but yeah. <laughs> often it's just Park and I on the island and, and uh, with a couple of workers, and we were tasked with, figuring out how to solve a problem with what's there. Um, and that's been fun, too, because the people who buy on the island are often that type of person. We have a right. lot of smart problem-solving types, yeah. engineers to entrepreneurs, and they, and they love this, uh, the challenge of uh, okay. figuring it out for their lifestyle. Uh, so that's, that's who's been most attracted to the island, and that, that's been interesting, just that, the process of figuring that, that out. Yeah, I mean, that sounds super rewarding, but something you would definitely have to maintain a good attitude <laughs> during the day-to-day, or, or or I would imagine it could snowball pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think it, there's there's definitely the negatives, but it's just that the positives are so amazing. Right. That, I mean, when you're out there, like, working, I mean, you're solving these problems, and it can get uh, difficult or um, monotonous at times. Uh, it, I guess not really monotonous, but tedious. Mm-hmm. And then, but you're on an island. You're <laughs> right. on a tropical island, <laughs> right. and there's no one there, and the rest of society just completely fades away. Like you're not, you're just that, like you get into this zone, and I, it's like I don't really know how to describe it except for island time, and I hear people use that. But in Boca Chica Island, you just go out there, and you just your days just fly by. You lose complete track of time. You kind of lose track of that there's even a society anywhere else. As you're focused on, you know, either planting your garden or figuring out that challenge, or maybe it's everything's off grid out there. So we've had to learn oh, cool. about off grid. Oh, so cool. and and so you're always it's weird. You're always really busy, but it's kind of hard to describe. Um, and then when people come out to the island, they they get it. They're like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> that is, I mean, that is that is so cool. And th- and those kind of interests are really growing. I mean, we get a lot of people contacting us who are looking to sort of create that lifestyle for themselves here in Ecuador. That's sort of a somewhat of a global trend that's taking place, perhaps perhaps underreported a bit, but that sort of, you know, off-grid, self-sufficient lifestyle is becoming more and more popular. So it sounds like you guys are, are playing right into that trend. Um, you know, I wanted... Uh, you're you're such a good person to talk to uh for you know for our listeners because 
a lot of people who are uh, listening to the show are looking at a place to either retire to or to move their family to or, you know, just, just to live in. And they're doing the, the, the research. They're, they're doing the comparison game. They probably haven't been to a lot of these places. Um, and I'll just mention for our listeners, um, very brief caveat. Viva Tropical is a great website to do research. Um, I found, uh, you know, my research prior to moving to Ecuador had a lot of holes in it. I, I came across a lot of uh, inaccurate information on the web. I discovered Viva Tropical um, after moving here um, and, you know, read a, a, a good bit that they had on their site about Ecuador and was very impressed with the accuracy of the information. So you're definitely in good hands if you're doing research there. But anyways, um, the, you know, you're somebody who's uh, lived in in multiple places in Latin America, but you've also traveled. I don't know. There is there a country in Latin America you you haven't traveled to? Um, you know, you've probably traveled to uh, the vast majority, if not if not all, everywhere in in Central and South America. So you're such a great person to have on the show that can kind of compare for people and give people some of that information. Um, why don't we start? Why don't we start with where you are now? So you're in Costa Rica. Um, I've never been there personally. I know people love it. It's obviously a very popular destination for um, people from the states and, and all over the world. Um, the, the sort of story on it that I get, uh, true or, or not, is kind of um, that it was like an incredible investment going back 30 years and that a lot of that sort of saturation has happened. And you know, some people uh, love it there because they have sort of all the modern amenities and they have the, the expat community on that, that stuff. And then some people I hear, they say, you know, well, it's, it's too much that way. It's kind of, it's, it's day has come. So why don't you give us your perspective on, on you know, what it's, what it's like uh, currently in, in Costa Rica, both from, you know, both from just lifestyle, but also if, if people are interested in investing in, in looking at it from, from that standpoint. Yeah, well, I think Costa Rica is the gold standard. It's what every other country in this region, Ecuador included, is trying to pretend to be. And I say pretend because um, it's, if you really look at the historical perspective, there's a number of specific actions, laws, ideas uh, that came up that defined Costa Rica. And so what you'll get is, um, you'll get like a Panama who's, trying to be the next Costa Rica. And, and they won't be. They'll, they'll be Panama version of it. Ecuador will be an Ecuador version. It's interesting because Ecuador really has probably uh, the best chance because there's, all, like, the people you were talking about customer-wise that, that are interested in, you know, maybe living on an island or off-grid or they have an interest in organic food or uh, farming or all of that. That is much more um, consistent with an Ecuador customer than it is with anywhere else but Costa Rica, I would say. Um, certainly, that's always a segment of the population who's interested in a country. Um, but Costa Rica, it really, you know, they, they invented ecotourism, um, and now these other places are benefiting from that idea. Um, and I, I mean, I've had, I've gone through different cycles with Costa Rica. I came down 20 years ago, at this point, over 20 years ago, and lived here, and then I lived in the southern Costa Rica, then I moved to Panama for a few years. Um, I've traveled all around the region. I still have not been to Belize. I think it's the only, it's the only place I haven't been to. And I've been to the rest of the places multiple times. Um, and with an eye of 
scouting and checking it out and what's different about this country because I'm just fascinated by what makes something tick, what makes something grow, what makes a town grow, why does a town grow here but doesn't grow there, what is it in particular. So I've been studying that idea for for a long time. And Costa Rica is uh, it's a couple of things. There are more expats here than any one of these other spots. Um, the expat population is sometimes is so dense in some places that it almost feels like a suburb of the U.S. And from the outside, uh, people are like, oh, Costa Rica's over, it's done, I don't want to be involved, you know, with that many gringos, basically. Um, I think that's a valid concern, but I think it's also short-sighted if you really haven't traveled the region. Because with expats come services and conveniences. Right, and let's absolutely. face it, let's face it, that's what makes markets work, um, is conveniences, services, schools, restaurants, hospitals. Um, and often in these countries, being as poor as they are, outside the cities, uh, one exception for sure is Ecuador, because Ecuador is just bigger, 14 million people, it's densely populated, it's not, it's big in some ways compared to Central American countries, but it's small for a South American country. It has two main hubs between uh, Quito and Guayaquil. Um, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, but it also has mid-sized cities, and mid-sized cities are something that don't exist in Central America. Central America has a more of a, of a setup where it's there's a capital city where usually, just we're using round ideas here, uh, usually half the population lives in the capital city, and then the other half of the population lives dispersed over the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. um, and that leads to two different types of people, city types, country types. Right. And that's it. That's about as much diversity as you get in these places. Now, you can add indigenous into the mix, mm -hmm. where you will get that in Guatemala, and Guatemala will have all these indigenous tribes that add this wonderful level of a diversity to a lifestyle. Yep. Uh, but... Outside of that, um, there's not a lot of diversity within these countries, and, and that's because there's no mid-sized cities. And mid-sized cities give rise to not only diversity of different types of people, but they give rise to things like arts, museums, craftsmanship, all sorts of things evolve in those places, uh, not so much in somewhere that has a city population and a country population. So it's all, you're su surprisingly in Central America, it's devoid of of really great, say, craftspeople or great artists. They exist, but it's not... You go to Colombia, and it's shocking how much more um, design and um, culture plays a part in, in um, any sort of art endeavor. Mexico's the same way. Ecuador's somewhere in between. Um, yeah. It's a little farther ahead than most of the Central American countries, but... It's not nearly uh, to the level of Colombia or Mexico. Um, so Costa Rica has, the point of that is, is that the way things have evolved here towards convenience is 100% of because of the expats that are here. So sure. from the point of view of convenience and services, there's no better place. And if you look at it from a real estate point of view, convenience is directly related to price per square meter. <laughs> right, right. So Absolutely. the convenience of Costa Rica, yeah, it's more expensive, but you get way more. Like, mm -hmm. I live in a, on the Pacific Coast um, in a beautiful town 
that's written about all the time and things like Travel and Leisure, New York Times, no, Sara, Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And my kids go to school and they do stand-up paddle, soccer, horseback riding, tennis, mm-hmm. uh, rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just endless, the amount of stuff they're doing in this tiny little town of, say, three to 5,000 people. Oh, wow. Um, and so that does not exist anywhere else, period. You're just not right. going to get that. You can go to San Juan del Sur and Nicaragua, but the amount of choices you have as a family are going to be 25% of what they are here. So that has to be said first, because for the people who say, oh, there's too many gringos and it's too expensive, they definitely have a point, but without relating that other part to it, yeah, right. uh, it's kind of an unfair comparison. If you want the cheapest land, that's all you care about is a cheap lifestyle. Well, then Nicaragua and Ecuador are hand in hand. A race to the race to that. Um, those both have the same type of tumultuous histories. Ecuador even more so. But um, that's kind of where it's at. Ecuador is different though because it has a more um, diverse economy than Nicaragua. Um, a lot of people choose Nicaragua just because it's closer, and people love Nicaragua because Nicaragua is Nicaragua. What I mean by that is they go there, and they just fall in love with the people and the place, and um, they're willing to take whatever risk there is to buy there. And mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest, there's a risk anywhere we buy, sure. including the U.S. and Canada and Absolutely. Europe. Yep. Um, so that's part of the evaluation process for sure. Um, so I, I've gone full circle on Costa Rica. I, at one point, couldn't stand the place anymore. I'd had it. And that was coming from a person who just likes to travel and have new experiences, so I got bored. Mm-hmm. I went down to Panama for a few years, and uh, my wife and I had arguments for, like, a year straight about where we would go next. And I wanted Ecuador or Colombia or Peru, mm-hmm. and she wanted Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we both said, okay, fine, we're going to have to compromise. And a compromise to us meant, fine, we're both going to go somewhere we hate. Um, then, <laughs> because then, like, you know, you can't blame the other one. It was getting to that point. Like, if I went somewhere that I slightly liked more, she would, like, never right, let me Then you were in trouble, it. yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the whole time we were there. And if, mm-hmm. I, and if she did the same thing, I would never let her forget it. So like, fine. So we compromised. Like, had, uh, I remember arguing a bunch, and I was on a trip to Panama. And we went home for a few months and had a baby, and she was uh, in the U.S. at that time. Mm-hmm. And I was on my way back from Panama, and I said, hey, I had an idea. I think I know where we can go. And she was like, me too. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, fine, let's say it. So we said, okay, count to three and say it. One, two, mm-hmm. three, we both said, no, Sara. We'd only <laughs> come here once. We've been here for, like, we spent the night here. Yeah. And so we came down reluctantly. We drove down. I've driven all the way through Central America, so we drove down took a long time getting here, uh, basically avoiding the reality that we had to move back to Costa Rica. <laughs> um, we got here, and um, we've, I've been here now for like eight years, and mm-hmm. I, we still reevaluate every six months and say, do we really want to be here? For us, it's perfect. We have a family, kids, yep. 7 yep. and 11 now, so uh, they've been, one of them has been here since before her first birthday, my daughter, the youngest mm-hmm. one. Right. Um, and it just works for us. And, you know, back to Viva Tropical, we've written this ebook, Top 57 Places to Live and Invest um, in, in Overseas or in America, or I mean, sorry, in Latin Tropics. Um, and 
you know, just our region. Our number one place was Nosara. Now, the reason we chose that was, if you look at all these towns, uh, Ecuador up to Mexico, Mexico is a kind of a, its own beast and really um, doesn't really make any comparison to anywhere else. Uh, Ecuador does. Ecuador fits right in. It's a little bit more populated than the Central American countries, but it's very similar. Mexico is just a big freaking place with a gigantic economy that really makes, has no comparison whatsoever to Central America on an economic level. It has a comparison based on if you're saying to yourself, do I want to live in Mexico and Sayulito or Nosara? We'll find that there, there's a comparative basis there. But um, that, And so um, coming down that... Uh, um, I lost my train of thought there. What was that? What was I saying? <laughs> well, I mean, you you were just recounting, you know, how you ended up back in in Costa Rica, which I found really interesting. Um, and I and I wanted to, I'm sure it'll come to you momentarily. And I wanted to also, you know, get your thoughts on Panama. But before I do, um, the there's there's something that you said that I think really rings true and is worth um, sort of bringing it home for people who are potentially looking at Ecuador or other places. So. When you are looking, when people are looking at Ecuador, the kind of big question, and obviously, you know, you've got to find the climate that you like and the culture that you like and all those sorts of things. You know, do you want to be on? Oh the yeah, I remember what I was going to say. Could I just finish the thought? Cause please, I was just about... please, please, please. Right what I was saying was, was that when you compare all these towns, mm-hmm. they're all like brands, and they're like brands in the sense they attract a certain type of person. And if mm-hmm. you look at it yep. that way, all the way down from Mexico. What you see is that they're pretty simple when you look at it that way. And what I mean by that is there's not a ton of different types of people coming to these places. There's either people who want cheap, there's surfers, um, there's, in some cases, retirees, um, like a Boquete in Panama is a great example of that. Cuenca is another great example of that. Um, And that's the majority of the people of the group who is calling that place home. What happens is, is that's pretty um it's it's very it's it's not diverse it's not like right. uh, new york that attracts like five billion different types of demographics right. it's completely the opposite of that it's like two different demographics so why we ended up choosing nosara number one was because it attracts a broader group of people than any town i've ever been in in the and it because uh, okay. of that that's why we called it number one was because its growth potential is so much bigger than other places based on this uh, broad attraction range from people who um, are retirees to families to surfers to people into natural food lifestyle to people who just are nature lovers. Like, it's still not so broad. It's just broader than, say, Pavones in Costa Rica, where there's a left-hand point break that um, is one of the longest in the world. Pretty much the only people who've been going down there and how that town even was on the map Mm-hmm. was surfing. It's the mm-hmm. same with Montanita in, in Ecuador. Like, right. There's a bohemian vibe there, but surfing's got it started. I mean, that's a whole other story, but you can certainly follow surfers right to the, the money if you want to follow a surfer in, for investment. Oh, really interesting. It's kind of like artists in, in the States. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like artists or um, the gay areas mm-hmm. in cities, Absolutely. like how they re-gentrify and uh, become cool or you know that, that kind of thing. Like surfers, though, in Central America... That's how it really all got started. It got started with Vietnam vets, mm-hmm. smugglers, mm-hmm. and then the nicest of that group, surfers, started coming along. <laughs> yep. Well, um, you know, 
Amazing information, Josh. Um, Again, I would just say to our listeners, a lot of people have a lot of opinions. Uh, Very few people who talk extensively about Latin America, um, I can say from my own experience, are talking, uh, you know, the, the hard facts. Josh Josh really knows what he's talking about. And, and again, I want to get to Panama um, with you because I know you sure. have some experience there as well um, and, and also maybe some other, some other places. But I just want to hit home for people um, very briefly. The the sort of choice that I think a lot of expats have to make, um, and I couldn't agree with you more, by the way, as far as the sort of lack of diversity of the type of expat that lives in a certain place. Um, that's that's really, um, you know, obviously you're talking in generalities. It's obviously not true across the board, everyone, but in general, um, in Ecuador, that has certainly been my experience. And I, well, you I, can extrapolate. You can just extrapolate out who that group is. I mean, if it's cheap living people who want a lower price existence who are heading to Cuenca, which is the vast majority of them, then it just gives you an idea of what a good business model would be. Um, yes. Surfers are the same way. Retirees, um, who's also retirees and cheap living are usually synonymous. Hand uh, in hand they are food. often, they're the same group very often, but. Mm-hmm. Beyond, but I do think that it's, I, and you can disagree, but I think it's fair to say that Cuenca, people move there because it's inexpensive relative to where they came from. Yes, I and I, and I, you know, and I would love to have you um, because that's true. Um, but, but I just want to make this point very briefly. The, the sort of um, choice you have when you certainly when you're moving to Ecuador, but I would, and, and you can chime in and tell me if I'm correct or not, but I would say that that's probably true for most of Latin America. The choice that you have is, do you want to live with other foreigners and therefore have all the goods and services and amenities available to you that you would expect coming from the West? Or do you want to live in a place that you don't have that community but understand that you're giving up those things. So, so the 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 schools. Yeah, at, the school, I agree with you. I agree. Yeah. With you. I will just throw out there that that what you just described is more of an Ecuador thing mm-hmm. than the rest of Central America. Okay. Meaning that the Ecuador, in terms of total percentage of developed area, specifically for expats, is like one percent. Oh country. yeah, it's tiny, absolutely. Um, and and it's such a new thing. It's, you're, you're totally on the early side there of what will happen in the next ten or fifteen years, which will be dictated by all sorts of things that unfortunately we cannot control. But right. um, you're on the early side there. Costa Rica is the opposite of that. Costa Rica is at the at the tail end of a thirty year cycle. Right. So it's just evolved thirty years. It's done an entire generational revolution. Um, of of progression versus, say, Ecuador. So I just throw that in to say that um, I totally agree with you about Ecuador, but that's also the status of the Ecuador market. That's where it's at. Yeah, yeah. And and last last thing um, off of a point you were making earlier before we get to Panama and some of the other places that you visited, um, you know, you were making a point about what attracts people to Cuenca, and I and I think this is something that we came across. Um, unfortunately, from my perspective, it's really unfortunate. Unfortunately, the majority of the literature um, that's out there, uh, mostly on the web, um, when people are doing research, the majority of the research that's out there on Ecuador talks more about how cheap it is than anything else. And in some cases, in many cases, uh, 
characterizes it as much cheaper than than it is, and it actually is, or it's just dated. You know, the information is just dated. Um, right. And so, well, let's you, dissect that a little bit. Let's just get yeah. into it. Well, I have a I have my own Viva Tropical, which is like the same thing that the other guys are doing that with, and I. You know, we're not afraid to say that Ecuador's cheap. So well, sure. I mean, it, I mean, it is. That's but, a fact. <laughs> yeah. But but let's dissect it further. The reason they're saying that is so they have clickable, interesting stuff to get your attention on the internet. They need that place. They need a cheap place. The problem right. that pisses me off about this whole process is is that they're attracting people who are on fixed incomes who are exactly. completely unprepared for inflation in these small countries. Right. Prices change, people, and fast a lot of the times. Yeah. And if you're going to send somebody down on a fixed income to Cuenca because you can live in a three-bedroom for $1,500 a month and not fail to mention that it could be $2,000 a month six months after they get there, um, which isn't likely but possible, mm-hmm. uh, then you create like this negative community member is what ultimately happens. Exactly. And I saw this happen in Boquete. In Boquete, Panama, it's a town in the mountains there, uh, northern, uh, western Panama. Very popular. International Living got a hold of it and pimped the crap out of it. Yep. And for true reasons. I'm not blaming International Living and saying that they're some horrible company because they're not. But it's just that there's a lack of responsibility because they don't live down there. They don't live in – they certainly don't live in Boquete. And so over like a seven-year cycle of Boquete, people were going there. It was cheap. It was as cheap as Ecuador is now. I mean it was dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. And you could buy amazing houses at the perfect climate that you can now do in Ecuador, all over the place. There's actually mm-hmm. way more places in Ecuador to buy and do this than, than in Panama. And so they would pour down, they would live, they would have, be on fixed incomes a lot of the times. Uh, eventually, people started appreciating Boquete for what it is. I had tons of friends when I lived there who just would pick Boquete out of anywhere else in the world. That's, they liked it that much that, yep. for them. But uh, then what happened about five years into it, Prices started rising. There started to be a big crunch on natural resources and resources in general, and they started redoing the canal. Um, concrete, you know, just base, base material that was suddenly in high demand. Um, and it pushed prices up all over the country. Um, not That's oversimplifying it. There was more to it that I don't want to get into. But sure. anyway, prices went up. And as prices went up, people who were living there started getting more and more unhappy who were on a fixed income. Right. And suddenly it went from your your kind of conversations you'd overhear at the local cafes with the expats from, oh, this is amazing, or have you been to that waterfall, or, you know, oh, I heard this new restaurant had opened up, which is kind of your normal stuff, Mm -hmm. to, oh, it's expensive. I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford it. And those people couldn't even go back to the U.S. because they'd already spent their money. And then they started getting upset, and literally the fabric of the town changed in Five years from being this epic place to go to suddenly it's getting expensive and people are under a lot of pressure. So uh, that's part of our message is don't get sucked. Don't even come here if you think it's cheap. Like if you want value, fine. This is two different things here. You want value, come here. But if you want cheap, don't come here. It's just it's like it's in some ways it's just worth it to say go to the Rust Belt in the U.S. where it's low cost there. Um, as right. opposed to learning a new language, dealing with all the things you have to do, um, you know, just don't buy into that hype is basically how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, that is so in line with our experience. We did sort of half a show on this topic early on uh, in the life of the podcast. But you, what happens also, in addition, uh, um, along that same line is that be, when people come here simply because it's cheap, 
they're coming for the wrong reasons and and they do end up unhappy and that's not necessary in Ecuador because there's an amazing reasons to live here um and so what pe- right. what, ha- what happens is that people you know they they would just as they would just uh as well or or they would enjoy just as much living in Arizona it's just that Ecuador is cheaper so they live in Ecuador but they don't like Ecuador <laughs> they they don't right. they don't like the food they don't like the people they don't like the culture they don't like the language they don't actually like anything about the country they just came because it's cheap and so yes though they go to Cuenca and they end up unhappy and they also create uh, animosity amongst Ecuadorians because they're not interested in Absolutely. really in really living there. So, so I, I, I again, I appreciate your guys' information on Ecuador, and we certainly try to push that same message. Don't come because it's cheap. Come because it's your dream to live here, or because there's some investment you want to make, or because you you know you really want to see what it's like living here, or whatever. But but come for all the amazing attributes it offers, as opposed to. You know, this somewhere you read it costs this month a month to live, and that you like the sound of that. Yeah, it's almost like the opposite side of get rich quick. It's like get like cheap fast, and that's better <laughs> for you. Like get cheap fast is stupid. It just it's not gonna. It doesn't it doesn't work over the long term, and pretty much you're guaranteed to suffer. Now, when I was in Ecuador, we covered a lot of ground, and mm-hmm. so it was more of a you know, 30,000, 20,000 foot view of the country as opposed to ground level and spending a lot of time anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I met expats all over the place there, and they were all the exact same, exact same person, you know, stereotype. Mm -hmm. They were thinking, oh, it's really cheap. The healthcare is good. I'm coming down here. Uh, Usually they were largely influenced by some online publication. And they were influenced in a way that wasn't even reasonable. Like they discarded all the rest of Central America, which is fine. I don't have any problem with that. It's just that it's so Mm -hmm. narrow-minded. And so they went there and they were doing that. And I just was thinking, this is going to blow up in Ecuador's face. And the thing is, is, like you, I love it here. Like I love the region. I love exploring it. There's so much to see and do and if you're into nature at all, like this is one of the last wild places uh, from here down to South America. And it's just simply because it's the newest region of the world. <laughs> Go back into world history. Um, everywhere else has been populated for way longer uh, with much more um, complex systems of economy in place that tax the environment and do those things. So down here you have this oxymoron where you can rip off a poor government and go, you know, knock down an entire part of the Andes Mountains looking for silver. That does exist, of course, or dump uh, oil into the rivers, like the whole Chevron scandal in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there's still these wild, untouched places. And it's incredible. And if you don't like that in particular, there's a lot more than that. I mean, Cuenca is a a great place. I mean, it's a a great city. It's a great place. And it's also the, it's also the, completely unique to the rest of the Central American experience because it's a mid-sized city, too. Yep. Like, yep. you have the mid-size that benefits without the huge, gigantic Quito-type uh, mm-hmm. uh, of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, so let's, um, let's, let's move to Panama. I know you guys are doing project there uh, now, and, and you've spent some time there. Where, tell me about Panama. Well, Panama is um, it's pretty popular. It seems that the leading... Uh, attraction to Panama is their visa uh, residency system. Right. 
they have their Hubalada, their retiree um, residency that gives you discounts on everything. Yep. Um, and I always meet people, and, and you know, I talk to a lot of people, obviously, our website and every, everything mm-hmm. else that we're doing. Uh, and that seems to be like the reason people want to go. And it's not Costa Rica because Costa Rica is too expensive now. Um, and I don't know. That's just, it's kind of, that's crap for the most part. I mean, getting a residency in any of these countries is not really that hard. No. It really depends on the professional you hire. So to me, that's not a reason. It is it's like, that's a, that's a stupid reason. Mm-hmm. Um, the discounts are largely exaggerated because mm-hmm. the businesses have compensated. <laughs> if you show right. a, a thing with a, that you get a discount, they've just raised the price that much anyway. Um, gotta love now, the, gotta love the market. You gotta love the market. Does the market respond? <laughs> right. And and so on the other hand, there are discounts at hotels and and um, on flights and things like that. So it is it is handy um, for sure. It's just not quite as advertised, I would say, in a way. Uh, but Panama is is a pretty amazing place within the region just because it's also so different. I mean, it has the canal. So it has it has 1% of world trade's business, <laughs> which none of these other places have. Um, it has, I think, the sixth biggest banking center in the world. Um, it, it, they've, they've done some stuff in the service business as contributors to GDP that are so much different than the rest of Central America. I mean, if you just want to look at business, it's tourism, bananas, coffee, sugar. Uh, that's about that's usually your top yeah, four right. in most of the countries. Mm-hmm. Um, Panama is more diversified, so that that um, what that means to the person who wants to buy there is it, it manifests itself in a different way. Um, it often tries to tout itself as the next Costa Rica. It's not. It's never going to be. They don't have the right laws in place to protect the environment there, um, so it is different. Mm-hmm. Also, they have different zoning laws, so it's not unheard of to see just really high-density stuff, like mm-hmm. uh, gated communities with golf courses. Um, they're awesome for people who want gated communities with golf courses. Very mm-hmm. uh, good value, close mm-hmm. to Panama City, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. There are some really beautiful areas, um, like where our island is in Boca Chica, um, some areas on uh, Western Oswego that are really nice. The Eastern Oswego gets uh, gets talked about a lot. Um, so as a country, um, it's probably not as beautiful, quite in you know overall as like a Costa Rica, um, but it certainly has places that are as beautiful as Costa Rica. It's just also another really different thing there is Costa Rica's done a good job of, even though their roads stink for the most part. Um, their roads are at least by the ocean. Uh, um, Panama's main arterial roads go through inland a little bit more. And so you can drive from Panama City to David, which is more or less you know, most of the country, uh, on the Pacific side, and you might only pass the water you know, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, that, in my opinion, made a huge difference in terms of the trends of, of development over the years. Um, its strengths are that it's a diversified economy, that there's still really good values there. And then one of the things Panama really benefits from is South America, not, not just from the trade through the canal, but that can't be understated. Just the fact that so many goods and goods come through the canal, um, you have all these other headquarters, and it spawns all these other businesses. Uh, you see you can 
hold stuff duty free and on like Cologne's side of the canal. And so there's all these businesses from South America say that that uh, store their stuff there, so they're coming in and out. Much more international businessy um, type of uh, of population. And then being so close to South America, like as Venezuela's gone through its trouble, a lot of Venezuelans have bought condominiums in Panama, um, and and uh, Colombians, and you, you get you get a lot of South Americans coming up to there. It's also cheap. Uh, one thing that it's much cheaper than uh, Panama. I mean, sorry, than Costa Rica for the most part. Costa Rica not only is expensive relative to the rest of the region, it has a, a poor tax structure uh, that directly impacts the price of goods, um, something like 60 80% on import stuff. Yeah, um, They're not producing a lot, so you're automatically paying quite a bit more. So like a car here, brand new Toyota Hilux in Costa Rica is uh, something probably like $45,000 now, and that's saying... Hilux in Panama is probably twenty seven, twenty eight. Yeah, we have those same unfortunate import taxes here in Ecuador as well. Yeah, you do on on that type of good on a car, but not on like your. There's so much local food produced that you can like cost of living is definitely lower there. Um, For sure, for sure. um, Than than that, but your car situation is about exactly the same. Yeah, I mean the the trick the trick in in phones. Yeah, no, any electronic, anything imported. But the trick here is that there are so many great craftsmen. You can have almost anything made um, outside of outside of electronics. So, like, I don't, I don't buy anything in a store uh, as far as household items, things like that, because they're they're you're paying a lot for low quality. When you can go to a you know a guy who works with metal and he can build you a beautiful one for a third of the price. Yeah, and and so Panama is an amazing option for expat living and investing uh, because it has really good roads. One of the things Panama did that was brilliant was, uh, and, and will benefit them for the next 15, 20 years, is they spent money on infrastructure way before they even needed to do it. Oh, okay. Um, so there's lots of places there where they've spent money on making roads, four-lane roads that would have been fine as a two-lane road. They went ahead and got ahead of it. They got mm-hmm. ahead of it with their hydroelectric uh, power generation. They got ahead of it with some with several things like that mm-hmm. that have, as things grow, which normally in Central America is such an issue, and uh, is that as things grow, uh, regulation and zoning is so poorly um, managed <laughs> that you get it's possible. Like there's a place north of me called Tamarindo that has this little road, and you drive in, and and then there's a little roundabout, and everything's kind of on that road, and then the roundabout, and you come out. Well, it got so crowded that when it's busy up there, that road can't even go forward because um, there's there's no room. They can't expand by, by where the houses are and how they decide, how they chose to build. That is not uncommon uh, in this region. Um, so Panama's ahead of it from that point of view. And Panama has like a really, it's just a different customer, really. I mean, that's how we break it down from our from our stuff. It's just, it's just a different guy. So for the person who likes Panama, um, there is no better substitute. It's really great in that way. Um, and what that way is, is pretty inexpensive, good services for the most part, things like internet, phone, all that stuff's pretty easy. Buying a car is really easy. Credit is fairly easy to get there for the locals, so the secondary market for cars is is amazingly um, 
cheap, really. Mm-hmm. Like, you get a car that's four or five years old and grew um, which is just unheard of, you know, in the rest of Central America. Yeah, or yeah, pretty inexpensive. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're pretty inexpensive. So there's a lot of things like that. The fishing um, is second to none. Um, and so that, it, it's a great option. It's a great option. What, um, what you know, you've lived in, in, in Latin America for, what did you say, 20 years? Um on and off, but but what um tell me like what are your pet peeves? What are the things you like the least about the lifestyle that that some of these countries afford you? What are, what are the things that when people move here are just going to drive them crazy, or at least drive you crazy? Well, I think it's relative to the places I spend time. So I will pre- preface that with I do not like Central American cities. I have no interest in living in them. Going to them is something I do reluctantly when I have to fly out. Um, and I say that because a city is certainly than where I choose to live. Um, and my, my pet peeves have to do with convenience. That it's, just, it's hard to get stuff. It's, there's, it's hard to get things. Um, in the U.S., we are so spoiled consumer-wise that you can kind of solve any problem pretty much anywhere in the U.S., for sure within 100 miles of your house, almost, like, that's yeah, pretty much right. 100%. Mm-hmm. Within, often, 90, probably 85% of the population to 90% of the population can solve almost any problem within 20 miles. Right. Um, here, it doesn't work that way. The supply systems uh, break down all the time. I mean, it's really just scales of economy. These are tiny mm-hmm. countries with not very many people that don't produce a lot within their borders. And... Um, they, that's where, you know, the problem begins for the most part. So it's not unheard of to, like, say you need wood to build a house, so you go try to get wood, and you kind of next thing you know you're buying a tree and it's got to dry, and that <laughs> is annoying and takes a long time, especially when you know you could have bought wood that was ready, like, two right. months before. Yep. Um, buying products, um, health care is kind of a challenge. I mean... Everybody talks about how great healthcare is in these areas, and it's not—it's not that it's not great. It's just a completely different standard. Yep. Um, so you can go to the doctor, and they can help you, but it doesn't have the type of oversight and um, the efficiency of the bodies of people who who watch this and make sure that it's safe and make it sure make people make good decisions. Just doesn't really exist. So. You've got to be careful, and, and I guess that my biggest pet peeve is you have to be your everything. And what I mean by that is you have to be your own doctor, or you have to quarterback that situation. Um, you've got to be your own attorney. You have to quarterback that situation. You have to be your own house builder. Um, and what I mean by that is you don't have to swing the hammer building the house, but if you're not really intimate with your own house plans when it's being built, um, it you, you're going to have to be in a lot of to make good decisions along the way. And, yep. and, and that's, you know, that's the same with law. You and I were talking not too long ago about attorneys. Attorneys can write about, I mean, can tell you what the law is, but what, what, I, what I've learned down here is there's the law and then there's the facts. That's what one attorney told me. Um, and those are two different things a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. But there's also this idea of a law where you can look it up but the way that law is being interpreted and how that law lives uh, locally could be completely different than how it's written. Right. Um, 
And so that that kind of stuff is annoying. But ironically, as I'm telling me, um, I actually kind of like the things that annoy me too. There's yeah. a good side to them. No, I mean, and, and it's so dependent on just kind of how you're oriented and how you're wired. Um, you know, I'm somebody who um, really appreciates and loves freedom. I dislike control systems of all kinds. So you know, whenever the government rolls out a new plan and a new regulatory body, you know, my reaction to that is that life's going to get a little more difficult. Um, I don't necessarily see the good side of that where a lot of people would say, well, you know, there's more police, I'm safer, or there's, you know, more regulation of doctors, so I'm likely to get better care, those sorts of things. That's just kind of not how I'm oriented. So what what these places do for me, um, certainly Ecuador and, and others, because I think what you said is spot on, is they they really um, put an onus on self-responsibility. So you're exactly as you said. If you're building a house, but you're really hands-off, you could absolutely run into really large problems. If you're, and that's true in any aspect of your life here. So it really, it really puts an onus on you uh, managing your affairs. Um, you know, very, uh, very sort of. Um, I don't know uh, what's the, the the word that I'm looking for, but you you need to manage your affairs very actively and proactively and consciously. Um, whereas some of the systems that I was used to that are in place in the states allow you to sort of withdraw a little bit more from the affairs of your life, and they'll just they'll they'll work out okay because of those sort of mechanisms that are in place. Well, yeah, I think a good example is if you go to the doctor in the U.S. and you say, "What's wrong with me?" You listen. I don't listen to any doctors here. I hear what they're saying, and then I have like 20 follow-up conversations, I mean questions. I usually will Google about 20 things because I have to know specifically what, how they're diagnosing it to even know if they have a clue about what's being right. And it's not because they're less professional. It's because it's, there's less, um, the communities are smaller, so there isn't a way for like all the doctors to get together and address this stuff and, and have the free flow of information in a lot of ways. Also, they're, they're used to their own clients just listening to them. The yep. same thing happens with attorneys. Like, attorneys are always telling me, no, no, you can't do that. And I'm always like, of course you can. There's a way to do it. Yes. Yes. And I'm sure you've been in this situation many times. I have taught attorneys several times how to do stuff. Uh, yep. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you could do that? Oh, I didn't even know after you had an argument with them about it not working. So that's what happens here is is that a lot. That happens all the time. My kid goes to the doctor and is sick. Um, they'll give us something, uh, you know, some sort of a synopsis, what's going mm-hmm. on. And then I'll usually, fortunately for me, which has been a godsend, my wife's um, brother mm-hmm. it was an ER doctor for 30 years in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So I can immediately check every diagnosis. And it's been an absolute godsend. So many times I've avoided taking antibiotics for no reason because like I don't know about Ecuador but they prescribe them here like oh what you have a nosebleed or whatever you can take some antibiotics yep. um, that's just but that's also I mean I guess that kind of gets to the root of the matter and it makes it a little bit easier to say the root of the matter is is that antibiotics are newer within this culture as a popularly prescribed thing right and so they're at a different evolution in terms of disseminating information than in the U.S. And that's really all it is. It's not a lack of professionalism. It's just as a culture, they're in a different place with what's popular and what works mm-hmm. um, than the U.S. 
And so often the U.S. could be ahead just because of it, its system uh, allows for quicker evolution. But a lot of times the U.S. has sped by to something that isn't as good or as right. quality. Right. So there's, there's a lot of times where that's the case. Where, I mean, like you said, you can hire a craftsman. Like no one's hiring craftsmen in the U.S. to make their bed. No. They're going to Ikea, and it's a piece of crap falling mm-hmm. apart, you know, like <laughs> years later. We're here. You're paying kind of an Ikea price, is my guess, and someone's hand carving it, like, out of the trunk of a tree, practically. <laughs> right. Um, right. <laughs> so it, it works both ways, for sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so give me, give me then, let, let's go to the other side. What, what, what is some of the things you like, you like the most about, um, about the lifestyle? And, and some of the some of the pluses. Well, I fell in love with lifestyle. The first reason I even came to Central America in the first place was my first surf trip. Um, not that it was the first time I traveled to surf, but it was the first time I'd ever surfed. And I just was committed to I'm going to go spend six months down there with one of my best friends and surf. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. It's the kind of things that 18 year olds you know think of as you know like that. That's how they conceive of things. I mean, looking back, it's funny that. I had all these people like, why would you do that? Isn't that dangerous? You know, all those things. And I'm always, I was like, no. And it, it wasn't really, but it's just the kind of thing an 18-year-old thinks. Sure. Um, so we went down and we surfed. And I just like, what I like specifically the most, uh, my favorite part about living here is just the lack of societal judgment upon my actions. Yeah. Um, that's what I like. It's, it's what you said. It's freedom. But... In particular, like in the U.S., like I always laugh because you can go to pretty much any city in the U.S., meet somebody for the first time, see their, see their neighborhood, see the brand of clothes they're wearing, see where their kids go to school, and nail their income, probably within 5% of what they're making. Yep. Um, and that in particular isn't bad, but this idea that you're being judged constantly by those things. You know, if you're if you're where if your kids are going to a better school, then oh, oh, they have money, and they're mm-hmm. just it's just such an American thing. Also, like I've noticed after I've been being been gone so long that it's just such an American thing to size up yeah. uh, humans in a consumer through a consumer lens, yep. which is funny. And so, what I always liked about down here was I could be worth millions and have a pair of surf trunks I've owned for twenty years. And it works almost in the opposite here. Like, in the U.S., you do this whole thing. You puff up the show dog there. You try to make it look like you're as wealthy as possible uh, to the degree that you can make payments on all the crap in your life. Um, and so, you know, you don't buy a car outright. You know, this is, this is the general population. I'm sure most of the people probably listening to this just don't think this way, honestly. But um, people, but they'll certainly relate. So most of the time, you're, you're, sent, you're taking your income and you're kind of using it almost as payments to lease a lifestyle that you want to have other people perceive to that show, you live. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that yeah. here is the exact opposite. If you have money, you don't wear jewelry, you drive an old car, That's you right. certainly don't. If you puff up the show dog here, you're going to get robbed in any of these yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, and then like six months. So I really like... Um, Living in a place, um, I feel the same way often when I'm in Europe in different spots where I like the emphasis on living well, mm-hmm. even though that's, that's a different version. Every country has their version of living well. Um, and so I've, I like that here in particular. 
Yeah, I mean, I would add to that, there's just a lot less pretense. You know, people just don't have a whole lot of pretense. And there's certainly those sorts of things, but much less so than in the States, you know, where I come from as well. Um, and also just, you know, to give people a little texture, I just wanted to jump back on, on the comment you were making prior to that. It's so interesting how the things go hand in hand. So I think, you know, what you're saying about doctors and what you're saying about lawyers and all those things are, are spot on. And there's a downside to that and an upside to that. And those things are very much connected also with how saturated a place is in international slash U.S. slash television culture. And what we what I found here is that, you know, for example, you're talking about doctors and you mentioned that, you know, prescribing medication is not, you know, is not something that's been happening probably for, you know, for 60 years or 80 years or whatever, like it has in the States, where... Well, yeah, you know, antibiotics we're, in particular, yeah. Right, antibiotics, excuse me, yeah. So, you know, I have no idea what the history of that is, but that's probably true. Um, what One of the byproducts of something like that is that, for example, uh, you know, the mother uh, of a friend of mine, uh, the friend of mine had a, 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 a you know, a medical situation. Um, she was sick. And the mother uh, was able to go out into, uh, you know, on the side of the road and identify all the different kinds of plants and find the right one and cured her in, you know, a matter of, of three days with this, you know, medicinal herb that, that she had learned from her mother, you know, grow, looks this way. Um, so you get those kinds of things here, which you would be hard pressed to find in the States. And then additionally, just with some of the, some of the textural, like cultural stuff, Kids, for example, in Ecuador are very, very respectful. Um, you don't have this sort of delinquency stuff you would have in the States. Kids don't talk back to their parents. Um, kids live at home until they're married for the most part. Um, and, you know, are there downsides to that as well? Um, sure. It's okay. You know, here it's fine if you, if you hit your kids and, you know, that's totally acceptable. And, and, you know, a kid doesn't get out of line because his dad would whack him. Um, <laughs> so, so there's some sort of downside to that. But the upside to that is also incredibly strong family unit, family units that have lived in the same place for a bazillion generations. Um, and what I'm seeing here in Ecuador, and I'd be curious if, if this is your experience elsewhere, is that the more that modern culture arrives, the more that all of those problems start to pop up. So the more the kids are watching the TV, which they weren't here not that long ago, the, the more that the sodas and the fast food and, and you know, the consumerism and all that sort of stuff becomes um, more entrenched, all of a sudden now kids are out doing graffiti and smoking weed and talking back to their parents and, and you know, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, that sort of cultural uh, integrity starts to, starts to break down and you start to have more problems like where we think of as just normal in the States, but here really is not. Yeah, I would say, well, Ecuador is different for sure in that way. Ecuador has a much more traditional culture that's more intact especially Quito, Serrano-type behavior. Yeah, the mountains, um, yeah. It's definitely way more of a refined, traditional way of being. And Park and I found that um, very nice. Uh, we, we like that. Mm -hmm. um, and liked it because it's easy to relate to, and there's a way, there's a decorum. There's a, there's a whole process for doing stuff that 
follows traditional lines that has followed traditional lines for a long time. Much more kind of a, I mean, look, Spain did it all here as far as introduced the software <laughs> in the beginning that all these countries are running. Some countries run it different than others. Um, and Central America runs that software, Spanish colonial rule, in a different way than South America does. Um, partially, probably because it's smaller, and I can only speculate, but it's, it's smaller, it's different. They're much more open here to the, um, to the North American way of doing things. And it does, it causes problems. So, I mean, I don't know, I'm not judging it as a good or bad. It's just that anytime I was talking to someone the other day, it might even have been you, that you remember back in the 80s when somebody had a, the first type of cell phone you could carry? Mm-hmm. And they would literally, like, carry it so that you would see they had it because yep. that was awesome. And then, like, right. movies would like portray characters as like technological, you know, technophiles because they had one of those cell one of those cell phones and, yep. and and it was kind of this idea of like, oh yeah, cool, look at look what I have kind of a thing. And early adopters got to got to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, now the cell phones old hat refined as a as a population within the US, we've responded and now uh, even much to our chagrin, we still think generally feel like you know, if you're going to talk on the phone while I'm in the subway, can you at least not, do I have to be present for half of this conversation? Like, I don't give a crap what Lisa did last night at the club or whatever it is. So there's a refinement with technology introduced into the system. What I see in Central America is, is that that stuff is all so new that they're still in the phase of showing off the cell phone. <laughs> and literally, they're showing off their cell phone. Mm-hmm. Like you can't trust if somebody has an FM receiver on their phone, which gives you an idea of, you know, how modern this particular cell phone is, um, they will blast the FM station the whole 10 hours and kind of look at you like, isn't this amazing? I'm the like, man, this yeah. Is, <laughs> this is incredible. And you're like, no, it's not. I'm from a different culture that, like, hates the idea. Like, I want to put my earplugs in. I was at the dermatologist the other day in San Jose, and it was in Escazú, which is, like, the most modern part of San Jose and, and of Costa Rica. And it was a modern... Um, dermatologist's office and i'm sitting there with my wife and daughter before i go in and in comes another costa rican family and they uh, are sitting there and obviously the husband's bored within like five seconds of being in the office and decides to flip over his phone start watching youtube videos um full blast and we're sitting in the space that's no bigger than like a you know a queen size bed um and so it's just that is kind of like the good with the bad. I, sometimes that annoys me, sometimes it doesn't. I know how to respond to this because I just with me on buses and that kind of stuff. But the overarching point I'm making, and to your point, is that um, as this stuff here and is newer, the way it's used is often kind of in a um, almost you know, excited, excited to be part kind of a way. And I, I think that's coming to Ecuador. I just think that yep. um, it's behind these cycles because there's much more expat influence in this region. So by the time that happens there, here we'll start hitting some level of refinement with it. I believe. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that. I think that's well even though put. it's a negative now. It's a bit. It's a, it is a bit of a negative now. Like it's just who have giant speakers in your car and you want to drive around the neighborhood just blasting those things right. full blast, right. like impressing everybody. Um, but 
I'm now an old man screaming for people to get off my lawn. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. so I've changed too. Right. And, you know, and then when you add in, you know, people's, uh, you know, like the, the median or the average uh, salary versus, and then you add in the import taxes and then what these phones cost, you can almost understand people showing them off. <laughs> totally. And, and it's just, it's just so different because it's also like they skipped in large part, they skipped hard phone lines. So there wasn't even that whole evolution of within the house of a hard phone line. Um, so, you know, just like teenagers skip almost directly in lots of neighborhoods where they have their own phone and they can communicate. And, and you just see, like, it's, it's cool in one way to have access to the entire world, but you need some sort of, um, I mean, what makes that access beneficial to the person with access is having an overarching need, um, or, a, a a goal of like for what you're doing, like. We can all spend endless hours wasting time communicating on WhatsApp um, and get nothing done. But then there's also people that are going to come out of these communities that are, you know, going to invent, you know, the next great thing. Um, and I feel like the difference between those people is is what they're, you know, how they're using it. Are they using it to improve themselves and get better? Or are they using it to waste time? And that's not a Central American issue. That's more of a, a global one. Sure. Well, Josh, um, you've been incredibly, um, incredibly generous with your time today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and start to wrap up. But before I do, um, I know obviously people can find you at vivatropical.com. Um, what else would you like uh, people to take away? Is there? I know you're doing those projects. There's some space left, at least in one of them. Why don't you go ahead and take a minute and just um, you know, let people know how they can get in touch with you and, and anything you'd like them to be aware of. Sure. Well, I would just say go to vivatropical.com. You'll be nailed with a pop-up that gives you the choice of uh, downloading the top 57 places to live and invest. That is a great starter point. It's 200 pages. It is. It's, it's a write-up of every little town. There's little graphs on there on you know how likely appreciation will be, cost of living, things like that. And then that kind of puts you in the pipeline. I have an email series I've been writing for years that you get access to, and then you'll get access to, um, which I think is particularly useful in the Ecuadorian market, is uh, Paydirt, our, uh, which is also, I think, a 200-page ebook on investing in land, which I think is just such a great opportunity in Ecuador. There is no better market for that uh, right now. And uh, Paydirt, it's called. You'll get it if you download Top 57 Places to Live and Invest. You can also download it um, on our site where I think it says yeah, Books and Reports. Click on that tab, and uh, you can get paid directly. And I think um, that's probably the most useful things to your audience that I can think of. We also have a podcast if you want to listen to that. We do market reports from all over the place, um, and you can certainly listen to that if you're intrigued. Thanks again to Josh Linus of Viva Tropical for his time and for joining us today. Uh, once again, we are Abundant Living Ecuador. You can find us on our website at abecuador.com. You can check out our tour at abectour.com. That's A-B-E-C-Tour.com. Uh, our relocation services at ecrelocation.com. And, um, of course, our 800 number is 888-999-0948. Email info at abecuador.com. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.